Um, we are going to continue a series today. We started last week. We're working through the book of Philippians. We're going to be about another couple of weeks, four chapters. I think we'll do four weeks on Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, um, specifically 1 through 18, which we're going to have someone in a moment come and read it. But this was last year's scripture memory challenge for the church. So I don't even think we need to read it because you all have it memorized. So we're going to recite it together. Um, but this is a little bit of background, and we, we said this last week. A lot of these books in the New Testament are letters that were written. So the book of Philippians, for, an, for example, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in Philippi. So it's to the Philippians. So when you read this, it's... Imagine it's, a, it's an actual letter that Paul was writing to this new group of believers. Paul was in the midst of facing persecution. Paul was in the midst of being thrown in prison. And he also recognizes this church that he started in Philippi. So Philippi would be a city in Macedonia, a very prominent city at the time in modern what would be modern-day Greece. Um, he traveled around and started a church there shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these people who had never heard of Jesus were now believers in Jesus and learning what it means to be followers of Jesus, learning what it means to have salvation and new life through Jesus Christ. And so, as Paul's traveling around, now this new group of believers is learning, but they're also facing persecution. And they're also facing false teachers that are coming in to try to lead them astray. So Paul's writing these letters saying, hold on to the faith, remember what I taught you, remember what it's all about, it's all about Jesus. This is the feel that we're getting in the book of Philippians. So today I want to read, um, we're going to read Philippians 2, 1 through 18. So Ariana's going to come up here, Ariana Loeffler, and she's going to come up here and uh, read this for us. Could we welcome her to the stage, please? Hi, I'm Ariana Loeffler. I'll be reading Philippians 2, 1 through 18. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Can we thank her? 
That's what we're looking at today. So we're going to read through those verses kind of a chunk at a time. But that is Philippians 2, 1 through 18. And Paul, what he's doing through this whole chapter is just setting up this idea. And really this first idea that Paul is establishing is this, is that we are united in Christ. Jesus Christ, our faith in Jesus, what he refers to as if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness, compassion. If you have this in common, if we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in us, if we've received the mercy of Jesus Christ, if we are Christians, that is a unifier. That is what unites us. I love that he sets sets up this as the foundation for all that we're going to talk about. And he goes on to mention all sorts of things about be humble. Don't don't be arrogant. Don't be boastful. Um, Don't grumble and complain about stuff. Be humble and serve one another. But really, he's setting it up with this idea of we are united in Christ, meaning the value that I place over your life is because of your being created in God's image, we are united in Christ. There is a value that is placed on people because of our love for Jesus. We are like-minded. Jesus is the ultimate unifier. He's the ultimate unifier. All through this letter, we read these things, and a lot of these things kind of make sense. We know we should be humble and put other people first, the golden rule. We think like, okay, that kind of makes sense even if we don't do it. In the culture that Paul was writing, this would have been foreign. This time, this day and age, it was you look out for yourself, and if there is someone who is different than you, of another nationality or race than you, even of a different gender than you, you would be find ways that you could exploit that for your own benefit. So this idea that Paul is writing, don't look at it like that serve one another. For the audience that's reading this, this would have been like, what? We've never heard anything like this. This was, this was a, a teaching that was revolutionary at the time. And Paul is saying, because we are in Christ, that is the ultimate unifier. The unity we have in Christ is greater than anything else that would try to bring disunity. Um, our culture is full of ways that we should divide and to be disunified based on economics or race or gender or political ideology. All of these things that our world would say, well, here's why you are opposed to them. Here's why you are opposed to them. And what Paul is saying is that's not the way it is in the church because above all of those things, we could have a diverse room full of people here of all sorts of backgrounds, ideologies, skin colors, all these economic standing, all of these things, and we would say what unites us is Jesus Christ, our faith in Jesus Christ. So I was thinking about this. If you took yourself and imagine a a Christian in the remotest part of the the world, some remote jungle on the other side of the world, and you would look at them, another Christian, and you would say, I have more in common with them than I do any, like other people, because Jesus Christ is, we share in the presence of God. We share in the fellowship of the spirit. Does that make sense? Paul is establishing this. Jesus is our ultimate unifier, our ultimate unifier. In the midst of diversity, there is unity. And this is what the early church was all about. Again, in a world that would have said, "Mm -mm, there is all sorts of division there. What happened was the early church was a beacon for, it doesn't matter our background or skin color or economic standing or gender. For the first time in the history of the world, the early church, the first century church said, we are united together for a greater cause. And Paul is teaching this. And I want to read a quick story real quick from Acts chapter 13 where this was demonstrated. Now, Paul was originally known as Saul, and so this in Acts chapter 13 is a story about the early church. This would have been years and years before 
this event would have happened years and years before Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. And so this was an example of what Paul is talking about. Um, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. This is the story about the early church. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And he starts to list some of them. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And it continues. Now, while, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... So all these people were together worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So this is a story. When you read through the book of Acts, you read that. And what you get out of that typically is, oh, this was when Barnabas and Saul were commissioned to go and travel around and plant churches. And you read that first verse where they list all the names of the people who were there. And we tend to do this when we get bogged down in a lot of names in the Bible. We're just like, oh, I'm going to breeze over that. And this person begat that person and begat that person. But the names that are listed here are the, big, are the main part of the story. I did a little research on this. The names that were listed in there, so it talks about in the early church, in the room who were fasting and praying were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. Five people. If you were, right now, if I were to say, pick five people to put in a room that is going to cause the most uh, disunity, division, hatred, anger, who would you think of? Don't mention it. Aaron Rodgers. Think of who it is. Just, and what are you thinking of? People with differences, p political uh, ethnic, whatever differences who are very volatile, the combination of those is like a powder keg waiting to explode. That's who these guys are. Okay? So we go through and let's think of these names. Barnabas was of Jewish descent. He was a Levite, the priestly line. Old school Jewish descent, godly and devout. Grew up in the, in the age where Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. Okay? Where they were taught to hate people from the Roman Empire. Simeon, from African descent, he, had, he was noted to have darker skin than the rest. This was a black man from northern Africa, an outsider compared to the people who were brought up in the Jewish faith. Lucius of Cyrene, wealthy elite. He was a, of Jewish descent, grew up in the northern region of Africa, a different location, a different economic standing. Mannion, who was brought up with Herod Tetrarch. Herod was like the rulers, the Herods were the rulers of the Roman Empire. So Mannion grew up with the Roman Empire's family in the same status and wealth and excluding all the other people. He would have been a part of the hated Roman Empire. So Mannion was brought up and he's there. And then you have Saul who was recently saved, who will become known as Paul, who was saved while he was out killing Christians. Okay, so you've got all these people in the room, the hated Roman Empire, the persecuted the persecutor of the Christians, the devout priestly line of the Jewish faith, the foreigners, the outsiders, all of these people in the room praying and fasting together, seeking God together. The early church, the faith in Jesus Christ is a beacon for unity because Jesus is the ultimate unifier. We are united in Christ. There's just something about Jesus that causes all the reasons for division to just melt away, to just melt away. We are united in Christ. This is the example that we are given. So I want this church to stay united in Christ. And I know we've got different views on all sorts of different things here. Jesus is the higher unifier in this place. And I want the church at large to be uni united in Christ. 
I don't like divisions in churches because it just shows the world, oh, they just fight like the rest of everybody. We are supposed to be the beacon of humility and unity, and this is what Paul is teaching us today. And not only is he writing it, he lived it. He remembers the day sitting in the room with Mannion and Lucius and Simeon and thinking, if those five guys were in the room together, anybody can make it work, right? This is probably what Paul was thinking. Now, Paul gives us a contrast in the next verse, in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2. He gives us the contrast to unity, to humility, to serving one another. He gives us the things that will destroy unity, and it says this in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul's giving us a contrast, and he says what destroys unity, what's going to bring disunity, is selfish ambition, is vanity, is conceit. This really is, if you look at selfish ambition, the idea that we are all prone to kind of look out for ourselves, right? We are born with that idea. If you look at a small baby, they are selfish, and we have all grown up in that self-absorbed attitude, right? And so what Paul is saying is that is really the source of disunity. That's really the source of all conflict. If you take any conflict, any fight, any argument, it's a conflict because one person is saying, I'm more important than you. My ideas are more important. My opinions are more important. What I want is more important than what you want. If we were all on the same page about who was more important, we wouldn't have a fight. But yet here we are because I believe that my views are more important. This is where conflict comes from essentially saying, I'm more important than you, right? This is selfish ambition. This is thinking only about yourself. Now, we try to justify this, don't we? Because we say, but I'm right, right? My ideas are the right ones. If everyone would just think about the world like I do, there would be no conflict, right? We smooth it over or we justify it by saying, I'm right. Or we try to smooth it over, oh, it's just a difference of opinions, we agree to disagree. But all conflict comes down to this, is that we are at our heart saying, what I want is more important than what you want. I am more important than you. My time is more important than your time. My views are more important than your views. If we were being really honest, in a fight, in a conflict, we should just come right out and say it. I use this as an example for service. If hypothetically speaking, Christy and I, Miss, uh, Christy's my wife, Pastor Christy, if we got in a fight, one day, and that happened, I should just come right out and just be honest and just say, you know what, honey, I think what the, what the problem here is, is that I think I'm better than you, and, and, I want, and I want what I want, and my views are better than you, and it, really, this is, I mean, it sounds bad. If I said that, Christy would probably be, well, there's a shocker that you feel that way, but we should be super honest when we're in conflict, because that's what we're all thinking. You say, you go, oh, you, you know, you, you didn't like when I said that, but that's where we're doing at the heart of it. My views are more important than your views. This is the source of conflict. It's self. It's arrogance. It's vain conceit. It lives in all of us. So if you're elbowing your spouse right now, it lives in you as well, right? And we love pointing it out in other people. We love pointing out selfish ambition and vain conceit in others. So it's not like we have a problem in recognizing it. We just recognize it in other people way easier than we recognize it in ourselves. It's a self problem. And so Paul teaches us the Jesus way. The Jesus way is the way for all followers of Jesus. So if you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus, Paul is saying, but this is how you should do it. In humility. 
in valuing others above yourself, not looking for your own interests, but the interests of others, considering others as more important than you, right? Putting others first. This would be the solution for division and conflict anywhere, right? Now, I'll use marriage again as an example. If there's conflict in your marriage, if both parties, husband and wife, say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do something different. I'm going to put you first, and if you put me first, and we each, this is what Paul would describe in Ephesians as be subject to one another. This is what makes marriages work. Submit to one another as reverence of, uh, out of reverence for Christ. Don't think first of what you want. Think first of what your spouse wants. Now, if both people do that, that's how it works. That's how it works. This is the Jesus way in relationships. Now, in marriages, so if there's conflict in your marriage, I challenge you. There's times where Christy and I have to remind ourselves, this is why we're here. How can I serve you today? How can I be subject to you today? How can I give of myself for you? And when we both do that, marriage works great. And when we don't do that, marriage doesn't work great. Because what we are prone to do is get more into a tug-of-war situation that says, well, I need this, I want this, I think this. And spouse number two is saying, well, I need this, and I want this, and, and it's a tug-of-war. And then we get into negotiation. Well, you can have that if I get this. And it's this negotiation. All the while, Paul is saying, that's not the way that the Jesus followers are supposed to do it. Give of yourself for the other person. And when both husband and wife do it, marriage is going to work great. Now, it has to be both people doing it. Right? Because I've witnessed some marriages where one spouse is faithfully trying to be humble and serve and give and support and they're just getting walked all over because they're the only ones doing it the Jesus way right now please don't elbow your spouse right now that would be of course you're probably both thinking I'm the one doing it the Jesus way why are you pointing at me so I just want to encourage you in marriage this is the, the cause of conflict is a selfish ambition at the heart of it it's the cause of all conflict so let's, uh, you know, just take marriage for example. Let's work on that. Mutually prefer the other. Consider the other as more important. And you both got to do it. But this also works in our culture. If we did this just as the Christians in our culture, there would be a surge of kindness, I believe. There would be a surge of kindness. The Christians would start to be known for kindness and humility and patience. And I don't know that the Christians are always known as that in our world, in our culture today, right? And by the way, when we're reading this, we look at this and we, I read through this like, be humble, be kind, do nothing out of selfish ambition, don't put yourself first. When I read that Paul is saying this to the Jesus followers, there's no room for rude Christians. There just isn't, right? There's no room for rude Christians. If you're trying to follow Jesus, now we're all going to lose our patience and we're not going to be perfect in this, but we should be stri we should never justify just treating people poorly. Some people use Jesus as a reason to treat people poorly, which is way off. But any time we are treating people with contempt or rudeness or impatience, we're missing the mark of what Jesus is calling us to do, right? I remember I was um, talking to a counselor a while back, and we were talking about these things, and I just said, there's just times where I find myself, whether I'm tired or just burned out, I find myself just getting short with people, whether or not it's people in the family or, or uh, just random strangers and he's like well what do you mean I said well if I'm driving down the road and someone's going too slow in the left lane I find myself just like and there's a few amens there Gah! he's like oh okay and I said or like someone at the you know 
using the checkout, the self-checkout line at the grocery store. They don't know how to use it. They, should, they got no business being there, and it's holding everybody up. And he's like, well, what it, is it because you're running late? Like, you're worried that you're going to be late? And I was like, no, it's got nothing to do with that. And this was one of those times where the counselor was, he knew the answer already. He was just trying to get me to say it. He's like, well, what do you think is the root of why you get frustrated? And I said, well, sometimes I think if it's, I'm just fatigued, I just, you know, I have a shorter fuse. He's like, well, that could be it. Try again. And, uh, and, I, and I was just being honest. And I just, I, I said, I guess it comes down to the fact that deep down, I just think I'm more important and everyone should do things the way I want them to do it and it's annoying when people don't do it. He's like, huh. He starts writing down on his little card and I'm like, I'd give a lot of money to see what you're writing on that card right now. How do you spell narcissist? No, I didn't, he didn't say that. <laughs> now, by all means, if you're going the same speed as people next to you, get out of that left lane because it's just... There's higher things at work than. But here, I want to just encourage you with this. If you find yourself mistreating people or just being short or just being rude or just reacting in a way, I encourage you to take some time and get to the root. Like, what is it about this situation that's causing me to react this way? Is it that I'm just burned out and fatigued? Is it I could be depressed and I just need, you know, to work on some deeper thing? These things are, it's not the driver's fault in the left lane. it's not the driver's fault in the left lane it's there's a deeper work that's going on there's an impatience there is a selfish ambition there's something going on i just encourage all of us to take some time and look at the ways that you are being short with people or mistreating people say what is it in me that is causing that what is it in me it it could be it just you always have to be right you got to let that go it could be that you always need to be in control it could be a political agenda, social agenda, which that is just an uh, argument waiting to happen. It could be a dislike for a certain group of people, or you're just tired of being, ta- you feel like you're being taken advantage of all the time. It could just be that you are impatient or self-centered or burned out, whatever it is. But let's take the words of Paul, the teachings of Jesus to heart. These are the, the deeper works that we should be working on, that we should be rooting out of our life, Right? Getting rid of these things, walking with humility, with kindness. And Paul must have known that the readers of this letter, whether or not he knew we'd be reading it today, he must have known we were all going to be thinking of ways to justify it, right? Oh, yeah, but what about these people? Oh, yeah, but what about this situation? And so what Paul did then is he said, okay, you think you know you have a reason to be rude? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus did. So he goes on to talk about what Jesus did. So he, I love that he's like, if you think that you are better than someone or you have reason to be boastful or arrogant or whatever, let's talk about Jesus for a minute because none of us are as good as Jesus. And he uses that as an example in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That there sheds new light on just the magnitude of what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross for us, right? This wasn't just another person like us. wasn't even just a good person. It was God, the Son of God, perfect and holy, Coming down from heaven in the form of a baby, that's humbling enough. 
This is God we're talking about. And then being willing to lay down his life on a cross for us. That's the ultimate example of pouring yourself out for somebody else. Considering the needs of other before yourself. Doing the thing that is based out of humility and kindness. This is our God. This is the example that we get to follow. He had every reason to put himself above us because he's God. Yet he chose to humble himself, make himself nothing for the good of us all. That is the cross of Christ. That is why we rejoice and celebrate. That, that, those verses just shed new light on it, especially when we're talking about in the light of all the reasons we think we can puff ourselves up and mistreat people. We need to follow our Lord Jesus Christ in his example. He humbled himself for us. If you think you have a reason for arrogance or superiority, you don't. Compared to, certainly compared to Jesus, right? And I love what happens then is that it says that God exalted him to the highest place. Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to death on a cross, and then God exalted him to the highest place. God gave him the name that is above every other name. These are the things we like to try to do for ourselves. I want to get noticed. I want to make a name for myself. I want to get a position of, of authority or notoriety. And what God is teaching us is that you humble yourself and pour yourself out for others, and then God does the rest. God brings the results. God can give you a promotion. God can make your name be a, a position of authority or leadership. We don't seek these things, but God will do it. God, we humble ourselves, and God can choose to exalt you into a position of authority. We serve, and God blesses that. We give, and God is the one who provides. It's again, we, we settle our hearts to say, God, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to lay my life down, and I'm going to trust that you're going to do everything that is needed to be done, right? We pour ourselves out, and God is the one who fills us up. So in parenting, or in marriage, or in your career, or with relationships with friends, or in your school, or every encounter, as Jesus followers, we pour ourselves out for others. We serve others. And then we trust that God is going to fill us up. Paul's going to refer to that later when he referred to, I pour myself out as a drink offering before the Lord. That's what he's talking about. We give of ourselves for others, and we trust that God's going to fill us up. We don't look to affirmation of other people to fill us up. We trust that God's going to fill us up because we want to live in humility. So I encourage us all to just grow in our humility, just in very simple ways. Just don't assume that you're the most important person in the room, right? Don't assume that you need the most important seat or you need to find the important people so that you can elbow up and network and talk to them and get them to notice you. I would love for us all to just find a way to say, how can we walk with more humility as Jesus did, as Paul was teaching us to do? In any room, in any situation, whether it's at work or in your family or in your school, look around and say, how can I serve? Who needs something? How can I serve somebody? How can I help somebody? There are hurting people all over our world that if there was a Jesus follower that had that mentality of looking, who can I help? Who can I serve? Who can I pour myself out for their benefit? Man, that would go a long way, right? That would go a long way. Humble yourself and prefer others. How can I serve others? And God is going to bless it. And God is going to bless it. And you know what? People are going to notice it too. Your boss is going to notice it too. Classmates are going to notice it too. And wow, you're kind. You're willing to give for other people. You're not just out trying to climb the ladder or make yourself known. You're willing to love and care for other people. This is how we should be recognized as Christians. Amen? This is what Paul is teaching us. This is what's going to stand out in the world. This is why he's teaching it in the first century 
church for in a culture that that is going to stand out like nothing else. It's the same with us today. If we were a group of people that would simply humble ourselves and serve, that's going to get noticed. Verse 12, verse 12 and 13 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. What I want to highlight there is that phrase, work out your salvation. Because some people will read that and be like, well, what do you mean? I got I to do the work to get saved? I gotta, if I do enough works, then I have salvation? That's not what Paul is talking about here. This is not work to get salvation. This is because you've already received salvation, get to work. Work it out. Work it out. So I was uh, using this as an example. Um, imagine you bought like a, like a fancy new sports car or something or whatever, new motorcycle or whatever toy would be like, yes, this is awesome. New surround sound home theater system or whatever it is. And you think, I've got this. I want to I see what it can do, right? If you got the new car, you'd be like, Let's, I'm taking this thing for a spin, right? That's what we would do. It would be a shame if we just said, I'm just going to keep it in the garage. People would be like, no, 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 no. That's not what that thing's for. Go and work it out, right? Show it what can, let's see what it can do. Let's take it for a spin. Don't leave it, don't leave it boxed up, right? This, we understand this. I was um, thinking as a, as a kid, I was remembering this, where back in the day in the 80s where Star Wars action figures, where everyone had the Star Wars action figures. And I had the Millennium Falcon. It was pretty sweet. I had the Darth Vader, where the and, and then I had a Luke Skywalker, and then you'd have to clip in the clip in the lightsaber if you wanted to have the battle. And then the new Luke Skywalker came out, where the, the lightsaber you could just kind of slide the thing, and it would come out of his arm. And I was like, oh, that is sweet. My friend got one of those, and it was in the box. And I'm like, like what Paul was saying, like let's let's work this out. Let's take this for a spin. Let's see what this Luke can do. And he's like, and it was around that time where people were starting to get the idea that some of these were collectors' items, so he wanted to leave it in the box. Can't leave, can't leave Luke in the box. That's Luke Skywalker. You can't leave him in the box. The dark side's going to win if you leave Luke Skywalker in the box. This is the idea that what Paul is saying when he says, work out your salvation. You have been given this gift way better than any toy that we can come up with. And we need to work it out. It's our faith, this humility and kindness where Paul is saying, let's, let's take this for a spin and see what it can do, right? This is what we have been given. Don't leave it boxed up. We gotta, we gotta let it go in the world and see what kind of impact it can make. This is what we're here to do, right? This is what we're here to do. Continuing on, verse fourteen, and we'll wrap up with this. Verse fourteen: Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So, just that first, you know, what first sentence there? There are times when people read the scripture and they're just like, "It's so confusing. I don't know what it's even saying to me." This is not one of those times, right? I don't need to go to the. I don't need to go to the Greek. And be like, now what does it say in the Greek? What's Paul really saying here? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. We don't need to really dive into that. That's pretty plain and simple. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. And I love this line. This might be one of my favorite lines in Scripture. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You'll shine among them like stars in the sky. Not to be set apart like, oh, look at me how great I am. But your light will shine. This part of the city, we're far enough away from the, the big downtown area that, you know, you can go out into the country a little bit and the stars become illuminated on a clear night way better than you can see them and amongst the city lights. And there's just something about that. You look up and you're like, man, that is amazing.
amazing. I love that picture of a church set apart for the, for the glory of God. We're going to shine like stars in the sky in a dark world. It's just going to be, you know, Christians all over like stars in the sky, just illuminating, just illuminating, showing the way, shining. It's going to get noticed. It's going to get noticed. Not out of anything arrogant or boastful. I don't want a church that is about, well, I'm going to be right and I'm going to tell you how to do things. It's a church that is leading the way with humility and kindness, not doing anything out of grumbling and arguing so that we could follow the leadership of our Lord Jesus Christ who made himself nothing for the benefit of others. And God exalted him and God used it. It's a, it's a faith that we have that can go into the world and make a difference. It'll shine like stars in the sky. I love that. I love that. And then in verse 17 or 16, as you hold firmly to the word of life, then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ Jesus that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, there's that phrase, I, my life is being poured out for others. Pour it out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, service coming from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is when we rejoice. Our faith is making a difference. Whether it's just showing kindness to a stranger or leading the way with humility and kindness in your family, in your marriage. It's being of service to random strangers that you see. Um, sharing your faith, seeing people come to faith. Being kind with the, with the student at high school that just needs someone to be kind to them. These are the things that you're going to look at and you're like, but look at what God did and look at the kingdom of God is advancing. The glory of God is shining because we follow Jesus in this regard. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. I thank you for this word of truth that you have in scripture for us. So Lord, this week I ask that you would just remind us of these words that we could, in times when we find ourselves wanting to be impatient or angry or times when we're trying to be boastful or trying to make a name for ourselves or clamoring for attention, that we would pause and remember the model of Jesus Christ to just pour ourselves out for others, to walk in humility and kindness. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to do that. We want that to be what the church is known for. We want to bring glory and honor to you because we live in our examples of humble strength and kindness in a dark world. Lord, that we as Homestead Church would lead the way in unity and love for one another service to our community and finding ways that we can help those who are down. Lord, that's what we want to do. I pray that you would anchor that in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.